Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we've got, we're going to talk about an important topic today for all those who have lost family members, because we're going to talk about handling money after death. And that's been really important for our family because uh, two and a half years ago, my husband passed away and, you know, I'm not getting younger. Like I'm almost 84 and got to think about, you know, how I'm going to set things up. So, because I know it's been a pain, it's been uh, hard. So Heidi, we've got a fabulous guest on a day. Would you like to introduce her? Sure. So we are going to be talking, like you said, mom, about handling money after death. And our guest today is Lori Sackler. Lori is a financial advisor and she leads Evergreen Lane Wealth Management Group. She is also the author of the book, The M Word, the money talk every family needs to have about wealth and their financial future. And I just started it. It's fabulous so far, Lori. Welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. I was so excited, Lori, when I heard that we were going to have you on the show because I said it's, you know, my husband died two and a half years ago. And wow, as any widow or widower knows, um, there's a lot. I mean, a lot of things to end and start and, you know, um, deal with. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible. No question about it. And I, I liken it to in this in a situation where the husband passes away and I'm not, I don't know your personal situation, but possibly he was the guy, the, the leader of the finances, the one who handled a lot and maybe the business, but he may or may not have informed you of everything you need to know or prepare you. And I often say that women become chief financial officers at the, mm -hmm. the most um, difficult time in their life. Right. Lost right. Their, their, their partner for, you know, years and years. So it's a very important for people to think through these issues with their partners before anything happens so that everyone can be fully prepared and understand, et cetera. I find that few people that I've talked to, widows, have done that. Now, for, for my husband and I had different businesses. I, I was a psychologist and working, and I've been a clinical nurse specialist and taught at a university. But um, he always made sure that we, his firm, that I knew what was going on. And I traveled a lot with him. So I knew a lot about our money already. Good. He also was very much um, important to him to have a team uh, for me. He always said, Gloria, you need your team. You need a lawyer. You need your accountant. You know, you, you need to have a team in place. If you tell people that you've had a loss, that people can be very generous about helping you. I've found that, you know but it's tough. It's very, very hard. Even when you've been prepared and you know the players and you know who to contact and what everybody's responsible for. Look, this is a, a traumatic experience when you lose a loved one. And I know your show is a lot about grief. And then you combine that with all the technical tools and skills oh, that yeah. are necessary to really transport that estate into a place where it needs to go, where and and have engage all the parties in a uh, cohesive way so that you can get to the result that you want to get to. So yeah, it's it's a very difficult process, but it sounds like in your situation, your husband did a lot of right things. Yeah, yeah, he was. In fact, what happened was we interviewed a woman on our show who wrote a book because she helped her sister-in-law mm -hmm. after the loss. And he took that book and went through it and made a book for me of all the things that would oh. happen and all the things, because he had been ill and had back surgeries. But I think even though sometimes we know that people are having an impending death, we people still don't do anything to prepare. If people sit down and want to talk to like their children about things, 
it can be stressful because that means they're going to die. Do you know what I mean? So sometimes yes, we don't I, even want to have those conversations. Well, and I write about that in, the, in my books. Yes, um, you do. Yeah. I was I was reading that that part of your book, by the way. Yeah, you know, death is a scary subject, and it's hard to go there. And uh, oftentimes, when you're, I find even in my practice, when women or men are dealing with death, and they're dealing with the estate transfer, the whole process becomes uh, much more difficult because you've got all that loss and grief that you're handling. So yeah, so you have to really, the best time to do this is when people are healthy, they're alive, um, there's full disclosure of what's going on with professional advisors that are skillful and knowledgeable. And of course, part of my book is how to have these money talks and to talk to your children and start to convey to them some of the roles and responsibilities and how this will impact them. So it, it, it's a series of conversations that need to take place. And oftentimes the children are he hesitant too because they don't want mom or dad to die. I think that's where we stand right now because it's been two and a half years since my husband died. And I am starting to think about some things. I have been thinking about going into a senior community and uh, I've got stuff and, um, you know, and some of it, my husband liked uh, bronzes and I have some nice bronzes and things. And what do I do? How do I, how do I begin getting rid of this stuff? Really is what I, I've got so much stuff. How do you begin getting rid of it? You know, that's a good question because a lot of people collect are collectors through their lives. And, you know, we all are living very long lives so we can collect a lot of stuff. But part of uh, what I think needs to take place when you start to think about getting rid of, of things is to have a conversation with your kids. Because I've seen that I, there's actually professionals out there that can also help sort out all your stuff and put it in categories and help you weed through what's 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 valuable, what's not, what could go here, what could go there. But remember, your children have experienced a lot through the years with the things that you've collected, and maybe they have a special interest in some of these items. So, you know, I find that personal property is one of the most um, antagonizing topics for families to go through after death. It's much easier if families have these conversations before. So everybody has an idea of who's going to get what in the personal property, because oftentimes wills just say personal property goes to X or Y, but there's not a delineation of some of those items. And there can be a lot of conflict in families when this happens. What about the in-laws and stuff? I mean, that's another thing. Should I just, I have three daughters. Should I just have them over and have them work with me on it? Then I have 10 grandchildren. I have three step-grandchildren. So I actually have 13 grandchildren. And um, I don't I don't think I can leave them anything only because maybe financially, if I could leave them all the same amount is what I'm thinking. And I am thinking that um, that I don't want to leave him any personal items because I don't think I could be fair. I, I really love each one Ooh. of them. The grandchildren. I'm talking about moving the inheritance, the stuff on to grandkids. Everyone deals with this differently, treats it differently. Certainly you have to start with doing an inventory of things, right? And then, you know, maybe the first thing you do is separate them out in terms of value. Um, and then you have a conversation first with your children because they're your, probably your number one priority in terms of the, of the way that the assets will flow. 
Um, and so maybe you start with one generation. And at the same time, you could say, well, maybe your daughter or son would like this piece. I mean, I think you have to you have to be willing to, you know, do the work, go through the inventory, identify pieces that your children or your grandchildren might like. And then there are various different ways that you can um, can distribute them. You could, you know, you can distribute them um, obviously at death with a listing, which I highly recommend. You have a list of the assets, what's going to everybody, or you can do it, gift it away during your lifetime. But the important thing is to get an inventory, have conversations, figure out who gets what, and and try to avoid contention because mm -hmm. what happens is so I had a client who um, was promised a ring from her grandmother. Uh, her mother had inherited it from her grandmother. Her mother also promised it to her. Her mother dies prematurely. Father and mother did not create a listing of the inventory. Did not determine put it in writing who was to get what. So the husband based on the will, all personal property goes to my surviving spouse. It's very typical language. He inherits this. And then what does he do? He doesn't distribute it the way mom and grandma wanted it distributed, right? He picks and chooses what he wants to do. And at the, at the end of the day, it has created so much contention that actually affects multiple generations now because there was a ring involved that was so special. And now another member of the family got it. And he gave it to his girlfriend. And so, I was going to you know, say, I know somebody who gave their diamond, so, their diamond engagement ring to his second wife. Right. Mm. So, but, but the point is, unless you, Gloria, or any of your listeners, unless you create a very specific listing, you can have it attached to the will and have those conversations before and figure out what's the best way to distribute it and who gets what, you will create. Um, a mess potentially. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, if I could say anything, you know, disclosure um, conversations and coming up with a final list that could be part of your, um, your, your, your approach for personal items. How about, how about houses and stuff like that? I mean, we, we know a situation uh, recently where the, the daughter thought everybody said she could have the house and all that, but when the, when they really die and people start thinking about the money, suddenly it, people don't think that they want to do it the way they thought they would. Well, you know, look, uh, people can change their minds and they can change their wills too, right? But part of my my mantra here is, you know, carefully think through your estate. Not when people are sick, not when they're going into the hospital, not when there's a death in the family. And give yourself time and energy and surround yourself with skillful people who can help you and put it in writing. And, and, and maybe before you even put it in writing, you have conversations with the family members that will be impacted. And you may be adjust. You take in their feedback. I mean, this is a process. It's right. not, you know, if you want to have the best outcome and you don't want, you know, your daughter, um, Jane, or your 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 son John to uh, disown each other right because they didn't get what they wanted yeah mm -hmm. um, and they didn't have a conversation about any inequities that might have been included in the estate you are creating a nightmare for multiple generations to deal with I see this in my practice and that is part of the reason I wrote this book another thing you said Lori in your book which I felt was interesting is that sometimes parents do not disclose how much they have 
In fact, they hide it even when their children are adults because they're afraid their children will become unmotivated and lazy because they will expect yeah, you know, something. Yeah. So this is a problem, right? People who accumulate wealth, there's a lot of control around that wealth. They wanna control the distribution. And there's also a lot of fear about what mm -hmm. will the wealth do to the next generations, right? But there are certainly ways around, ways to deal with that. And you can certainly set up trusts, you can have distribution clauses in there, you know, incentive clauses. But look, at the end of the day, I see a lot of wealthy families where the kids are very motivated. They mm -hmm. work, they have passions. My, my idea is to raise responsible, financially responsible children from a very early age. They understand what money means. They understand how to manage it. They find their passion in life because ultimately they'll get reward out of that. The money's not going to give you ultimate reward. You know, what you do in life potentially with that money is much more important than what you deliver in your own life. So raising financially responsible and, you know, kids with values is probably the beginning step because then you're going to be less worried about them abusing the privilege of the money that they inherit, right? Mm -hmm. Does that make that makes sense? sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I see as a widow is some women turning their money over to their children, mm -hmm. their sons particularly, and children and not having control over their own money. And I, I, I think that's concerning. Well, look, it, it, it first of all, depends on how much money, right? Adults who don't have a lot of money can, can start to draw down their money to take care of themselves. So that's not a particular issue. And so they might then decide, I'm going to gift these assets because they don't think they can manage them on their own, gift them to their children. But once again, it, it's a, it's, it's a matter of trust, right? If you relinquish control, it has to be to someone that you trust or children that you trust or money in trust that helps to oversee it with good trustees. Look, to give up control is not, uh, is not easy for adults to do, right? right? I mean, and part of what I write in the book is that money's an object of control. You know, people mm -hmm. own this money and they control their families. And oftentimes they control them after they're, after they're in the grave. But I see children sometimes controlling their parents, deciding what nursing home they can go to or what they can do with this or what you can do with that because they, they're controlling the money. I, I just visited a friend down in Florida who was involved in a hurricane down there and he's a real estate person. And he said, and they're very wealthy, um, you know, it's a very wealthy area. He said he's never seen so many mean kids whose parents' areas have been destroyed and aren't willing to give them money to rebuild in, when it's their money. We encourage them not to rebuild, mm -hmm. not to do this, not to do that. So I think there's another side also. Well, of course, you know, look, I always say, talk to your kids about money, but it depends on the maturity level of the kid, how responsible mm -hmm. the kid is and how the, how the children will process it. Will they process yeah. it productive, responsible way? And you're right. There's a huge gamut of families out there, but Gloria, you have this amazing daughter working for you. You've got your whole family running right. this business. I think that just... <laughs> by my visual, that this is a family that has values and they're working and they're right. collaborating. And so there's a much better feeling about maybe relinquishing control because yeah. you trust 
them, you have experience. They are, you know, reasonably sound, you know, children or adults, I should say. So look, it's, it's so varied. And I say, there's no one approach here. You right. need to understand who you're dealing with. You know, mm-hmm. you know, we have uh, situations where kids are in special, have a special need, right? Yeah. So then of course you want to make sure that you have some type of special asset, a trust, a special needs trust or insurance policy or whatever it is. But, you know, that's a situation where you obviously have to talk to the family about doing it, like doing it a little bit differently when it comes to different family members. But, but my point is not, no single family is alike. Well, one thing, don't die without a will. Please do not. Oh yeah, you don't want to do that. And that's something that anybody. Well, well, like you said, Lori, it's, this is very complicated because it's very subjective. And, you know, if your kids have a history of being untrustworthy and taking advantage of you and trying to steal your money or something, then, you know, you've got to be more concerned if you trust your children and they've had a good history, then they're probably not going to change if they've got good values and a good head on their shoulders. Um, But yeah, it's complicated. It's, it's complicated. That's why I love your book. Because families cut each other off permanently over these things. I've seen it over and over, as you know, yeah, horrible and, stories. And I, I, I personally experienced, I experienced it with uh, 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 clients, but I will say that uh, the most recent book that you have, the second edition, was written in response um, in the aftermath of COVID and in response to the needs being even greater because there's a heightened there's a heightened sense and you probably as PhDs, you probably get there. There's heightened anxiety, there's fears, there's a lot of social economic upheaval. So what I try to communicate in my books is create a process, right? Spend time thinking through the approach that you're going to take and include good professionals or a third party. It could be a financial advisor, could be an accountant attorney, could be a family friend that everybody trusts that has skills and knowledge. Because at the end of the day, when you start to talk about money with family members, things can break down pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. People can go yeah. into their inner child, they can act out. So you're going to want to think about how you resolve conflict. But but the whole point of this is not just with respect to death or you know or loss, but it's in all the decisions that you make in your lives that impact, uh, that it involved money, you need to kind of think through who's, who's going to be impacted by this. Who do I need to talk to? How do, how do I think through the choices and make good decisions and obviously communicate readily with the parties that be involved and have a process that I can deliver repeatedly because mm-hmm. well, talks just don't happen. It's not like you go in, you talk and everything's resolved, right? right. <laughs> well, and, and one thing I want to say lastly about your book that I love is for everybody out there. And I mean, I'm not a finance person. It's very readable. It's very mm-hmm. user-friendly and you can pick it up and just say, okay, you can, I can skip around. Like I looked at it and, you know, it talks about retirement planning, remarriage, caring for elderly parents, raising responsible children, you know, with allowances, et cetera. I mean, you can skip around to different chapters based on your own needs, which I love. That's very insightful of you because I broke it down in what I call different transition points in life. Mm, Oh, I like this. That makes sense. So, you know, it could be, um, retirement, it could be marriage, remarriage, it could be caring for an elderly parent selling a business and of course a state you know transferring your state the real issue here is that any transition is at risk of being unsuccessful 
um, and loss of money and family relationships. If you don't have these conversations in a very productive way, and you really need to think about them in advance. Do you have a website or we just, I do, I do have a website, the mword.com. And you can, um, you know, you can click on different things and learn about what I'm doing and some of the interviews that I've been doing. And there's definitely uh, some endorsements that I think are really great. It'll help readers understand that this is a real book. This is not just a, this is part of the reason I wrote this new edition is 10 years ago, I introduced this concept and it is definitely part of popular culture and the media and financial services are taking a serious look at it, but nobody is, they're all sort of touching the surface. As psychologists, you guys get it. This is complicated. Money Mm -hmm. is a very complicated element that's central to everything we do every day. So it's it's difficult to have these productive conversations. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm excited. We're going to be taking a little vacation together in uh, July. And I think we're going to have your book there. I love it. We'll be talking about it. Good, Mom. That's awesome. We're going to have full disclosure. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready. I'm ready, Lori. I appreciate this book. And I think the, the title is beautiful, The M Word. It's, it yeah. says it all basically because it has been something that is so taboo for so many families to talk about and they don't talk openly and it's almost a secret. So I appreciate you writing this book for people and Thank I will be reading so it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and thanks everybody for joining us on the show today. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own and God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation, where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.